It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It's the most important decision in a criminal case. Should the defendant take the stand and testify in his own defense? Three former Nomura mortgage bond traders are making the ultimate bet. Not only are they not testifying, they're not presenting any witnesses in their defense against fraud charges. They're betting that the prosecutor's evidence is too weak to convict them. The trio are among more than a half dozen bond professionals who've been charged with misrepresenting prices to customers in a crackdown on abuse in the bond market. Joining us is Robert Hockett, professor at Cornell Law School. Bob, on TV and in the movies, the defendant usually presents witnesses and often takes the stand. But how often in real life does the defense rest its case without presenting any witnesses? Uh, it's, it's, it's fairly rare, but it's certainly not unheard of. I mean, it happens often enough. Uh, typically, it happens as a result of a particular calculation that, that the defense uh, performs, right? They basically ask, um, you know, is there, is the, uh, the, the, the likely good that the particular uh, witness might uh, yield, um, you know, for the defendant, uh, likely or unlikely to be outweighed uh, by any sort of negative impact or any prejudicial impact, as they say, uh, that those witnesses might have. Uh, and the defense in this case seems to have had very much in mind uh, the way in which calling expert witnesses uh, harmed uh, Jesse Litvak uh, in the Litvak decision that was handed down just uh, indeed a couple of, I guess, last month or the, uh, maybe two months ago. Yeah, uh, Bob, what is the the Jesse Litvak conviction on just one count on on the uh, mm-hmm. uh, after it went up to the appeals court? What does mm-hmm. that tell us about whether this is a good strategy? I mean, I, I can imagine an argument that hey, you know, clearly, you know, a jury can be convinced that that uh, somebody violated the law, so you better put on a a, a really good defense. Yeah, so um, I think it, it doesn't really tell us a great deal because it's not altogether clear why uh, calling the expert witness that he did, uh, or even whether calling the expert witness that he did harmed Litvak. So what Litvak did uh, was call the witness uh, to testify to the effect that everybody lies in these markets, and that in consequence, the buyers of the bonds don't really take seriously uh, the claims that the sellers make, even when the sellers, um, you know, sort of puff up the prices that they claim to have paid for those bonds, right? So in, in essence, what Litvak did was, was he, just, he said, Look, the prosecution has not substantiated uh, the so-called materiality or shown that the materiality requirement here has been met. It hasn't shown that, in other words, the misrepresentations that Litvak made actually affected the decisions of the buyers. Uh, and uh, given that fact, um, you know, the materiality uh, requirement is not met, and therefore uh, the case hasn't been successfully made out. The problem uh, was that in order to establish that there wasn't really materiality here, 
the defense essentially relied on witnesses who testified to the effect that, well, look, everybody lies in these markets, uh, and so nobody really makes a decision on the basis of these misrepresentations that are made by the sellers, and therefore this misrepresentation that Litvak made wasn't material and it didn't really matter. Uh, the thought is that that might have backfired in the sense that, you know, a judge and jury are not typically impressed by arguments to the effect that, well, everybody does it. And so I, I think the defendants in this case probably have decided that the same effects might be had in this particular case if they were to call witnesses who testified to that same effect. So then what is their defense? Their defense is going to be that um, the prosecution has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendants are guilty. And in effect, what's going to happen is the defense lawyer is going to say, look, this case is very weak. The particular, these are the requirements that have to be met in order for a charge like this to stick. Uh, and furthermore, again, the prosecution has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that every element that has to be proven indeed has been proven. And now look at what they've actually presented to you. They presented you these, these uh, prosecution witnesses uh, who simply testified X, Y, and Z, not particularly persuasive, not particularly powerful. Um, and basically, that's what they're going to sort of rest their hang their hat on. They're going to say, look, it's up to the prosecution to prove that there's absolutely no room to doubt here whether the defendant was guilty or not. And this substantial burden they have, they simply have not met. It's a risky strategy, but that's what they're going to try to do. So at the risk of oversimplifying, is, is it the case that Jesse Litvak tried the everybody does it defense and these guys are doing more of a we didn't do it kind of defense? Uh, I mean, that's almost right, I think. Uh, I would just slightly alter that and say that they're trying the prosecution hasn't proved it line of defense, right? So rather than arguing affirmatively like, oh, you know, we didn't actually do this, or what we did really didn't matter, or what we did really wasn't wrong or illegal, instead of doing that, they're simply saying the prosecution has to prove to you beyond any doubt that indeed the defendants did this, did these deeds, and that's what they've failed to do. And that's, again, kind of risky, right, in a sense, because you're saying basically it's, it's possible that, yeah, maybe we did do it, but the prosecution has not proven beyond any doubt that we've done it. That's what the prosecution has to do. Insofar as the prosecution hasn't managed to do that, you have to find us innocent. That's essentially the strategy that they're adopting. And again, it's risky, but I think that apparently they have decided that it's even riskier uh, to try the lit-back form of defense, pursuant to which you have defense witnesses testify to the effect that, well, everybody lies anyway, therefore it's okay, or therefore um, the lies weren't material, and therefore this particular requirement that has to be met in order to make a charge like this stick has not been met. Bob, it sounds like the government had a lot of evidence. They During mm -hmm. two and a half weeks, they had witness testimony, transcripts of electronic chats, and they also mm -hmm. had a tape of a conversation mm -hmm. that the defense tried mightily <laughs> to keep out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's pretty damning-looking evidence, at least on the surface. I mean, of course, I haven't been there at the trial watching the, the drama, but um, from everything I've read about and everything that I've heard from people who were actually have been present during some of the proceedings, it sounds like it's pretty damning uh, evidence. 
Um, in effect, you've got the smoking gun of the actual lies, and then you actually also have witnesses testifying that the lies mattered to them, that they actually made decisions on the basis of the lies, and that in that sense the lies were material, not merely immaterial. Uh, and they're saying that, yeah, we got duped. Um, and the defense, you know, the Litvak defense was, no, they can't really have been duped because these are really sophisticated players, and they know that basically everybody tells lies in this market, and therefore they can't really have been influenced by them, and blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't tend to be an especially uh, convincing-sounding defense if you have a lot of witnesses who go in there and say, no, actually, I was influenced by this. I actually took him seriously. I took him at his word. I believed him, and it mattered to me. And it really affected my decision as to how much I was willing to pay. It's kind of hard for juries and for judges, I think, to ignore that kind of thing, unless the prosecution witnesses are, you know, seem really shifty when they say these things, right? And, unless they kind of look like they're sort of crying crocodile tears about having been duped. Um, but but absent that, it's a pretty you know compelling sort of case to make, and the everybody do, does it defense doesn't really. Work work very well. And of course, Mr. Litvak found this out. Um, these defendants, I think, for that reason, are avoiding that form of defense. But in, instead, what they're doing is relying on, an, I think, an equally, if not more, risky strategy, which is the effect that, well, you know, maybe we did it, maybe we didn't, but the prosecution really has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that we did, and they haven't succeeded in doing that. That's, so, uh, you know, that's a pretty risky strategy to me. I mean, it's the may only be between I, the proverbial rock and a hard place in this case, mm-hmm. but we will find yeah. out because the case is going to be going to the jury soon. As always, a pleasure to have you on Bloomberg Law. That's Professor Robert Hockett of Cornell Law School. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.